Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1026 with Audriel Labrowski. Oh, I talk about the four C's of climate change all the time. The four things we really need to work on as a society are coal, cars, cement, and cows. If we can fix those four things, coal, how we get energy, cars, how we get around, uh, cement, how we our built environment, and cows, basically the food system, that's 95% of climate change. Like Nothing else matters. And restaurants are like one of the biggest energy users. Obviously, the food is related. They're in the built environment. Like That's a massive... Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experiences head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today that's marginedge.com slash unstoppable this episode is brought to you by reachify why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your guest needs redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guests across the counter reachify is powerful and flexible for example with advanced automation and caller deflection reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverse callers to online actions Reachify also simplifies workflows for your team, enabling them to operate more efficiently to attract, retain, and engage callers effectively. Reachify, be in control of the conversation you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, there is a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Like, are you connecting with your diners and with the right message? And could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining room has room for? There's so much to consider, and it can be overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why I recommend Pop Menu. And that's why restaurants get Pop Menu, frankly. Pop Menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit 
profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Director of Sales at Green Places and author of Attainable Sustainability, Building Your Corporate Climate Strategy, Adriel Labarski. Adriel, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I've never felt better, Eric. What's up? Dude, What's going on? psyched to have you here. Uh, this is, I mean, this is a hot topic right now. You know, it's something that's been on the, like, it's been bubbling and like you, you know, like there's yeah. a storm brewing. There's a giant cumulo cloud cumulus cloud growing a literal one in our yeah. in our sustainability you know, case yeah. hasn't quite become a cumulonimbus yet i don't think it's not hasn't reached peak potential but These it's like getting deep there. weather references i used to be I a commercial pilot i didn't i didn't know what i was getting myself into so uh i mean i'm psyched to have you here because this is a, a topic that i care a lot about uh, our mission statement is to change the world through inspiring empowering and transforming the restaurant industry and i think creating awareness about sustainability and doing good is good business this mentality this mantra that we can spread throughout the industry is part of like, I feel like my responsibility. So when you reached out to me and I saw that you were working with a restaurant group that I have a lot of ad- admiration for past guests on the show, um, Zingerman's delicatessen, Ari Weinswag, Awesome dude. I saw that you worked with Zingerman's deli in the community of business. And I said, all right, I'm sold. Let's get this guy on the show. So with no further ado, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Uh, yeah, mine's a, mine's actually something a high school track coach would say, which is sprint the finish. Sprint the finish. Sprint the finish. It's just such an amazing way to think about everything. I'm not a very good runner. I never was, but I, I ran a lot and I, I like it and I ran marathons and, and Ironmans or whatever. And just when you're the kind of person who sprints the finish, no matter how tired you are, how beaten down you are in a race, yeah. that just, I think, says something a lot about you. And that's what the coach always forced us to do, no matter how tired you were, if you're in last place or first place or have a huge lead or none at all, sprint the finish and doing the same thing in work, doing the same thing in a relationship of like, no matter how beaten down you are, how close to the end of the day you are, just like finishing as strong as you can. I just like the mantra and I I try to stick to it. I think it's a good one. It's always in the last mile that we grow the most too. So if you're gas and you got one more mile in like a, I don't know if you're doing, I don't know. I'm not much of a runner, so I don't know. <laughs> a race. We call a race, races. A race, yeah. <laughs> a long race, maybe a 10 mile race. The last mile is going to be the hardest mile. But when you push yourself at the end, it's, that's where the growth comes is by that is leaving everything you have on the track. It also, it's what you remember. Right. Like I ran a, I ran a, um, Ironman, I think it's like 70.2 or something like that. So it's 70 miles. So you do, you do the swim, which is like a one point something miles. You do the bike ride, which is 56 miles. And then you do the run 13.1 all together. And I ran it in Santa Cruz and my swim was sick. I was really proud of that. My bike ride was all right. Like it was, it was fine. And my run was awful, awful. Like you finished though. I, well, did you sprint the last mile? My, my wife's like <laughs> following me on the, on the uh, app. You can see how fast I was going. She's like, Oh my God, he's starting off his miles. Uh, his, his runs at like eight minutes a mile. He's going so fast. And then all of a sudden in the middle, I'm at like 11 minutes a mile. And then kind of late, I had like a 13 minute mile. It's just That's going, my good mile. It's going, well, mile. yeah, <laughs> it's going terribly relatively. And then I got to the end and I absolutely, like I demolished the last quarter mile. I sprinted nice. it faster than I ever run. And I don't remember like none of the rest of it. You just, you remember that last sprint. You remember how you feel. You're proud of yourself. Yeah. That's what people see. That's what they notice. That's what they talk about there. And you know, you could, Take it as a metaphor and apply wherever you want, but I, I like uh, I love I like it. the idea of sprint to finish. It I says a lot it, to me. Great way to get things started. So, but before 
I mean, before we dive into like the bigger topic of sustainability and where the industry is today and where we're headed and what we can do in our business, my plan today is just to kind of share listeners like who you are, like tell your backstory. Uh, you know, what has your evolution been as a professional? Then let's transition to the evolution of the industry at a whole, like humanity's relationship with sustainability. How did we get to the worst part? of where we were and how are we getting better? Where are we today? And then what we can do in our own businesses today to be a part of the future. Um, so take us to when you fell in love with this idea of sustainability. Yeah. My entire career has been that of startups and sustainability. Um, I fell into it not intentionally. I co-founded a business, uh, right out of college, um, with someone much older and smarter and wiser than me. That was in the environmental world. It was like Airbnb for the outdoors. So we work with a lot of environmental groups and landowners to get people outdoors so you can book their property, go camping, oh, cool. fishing, hiking, whatever. Did they do RVs? Because uh... Uh, I know you're in the market for an <laughs> RV. We were mostly on the on the, on the land side of okay, things. But whatever. So I got into that world. I joined the board of a company called – or a nonprofit called Unique Places. I was Unique Places to Save at the time, and now it's Unique Places. And it was about like conservation and mitigation and things like that. Loved it. Um, moved on to a self-driving car company that we were using. It was an electric vehicle, so I learned a ton about that. And there I kind of saw my first moments of how companies care about sustainability. And I remember this so well. And Can you timestamp this for us? Yeah, the, the self-driving car company I joined in 2018. Okay. So it was January 2018. It was like self-driving car hype. Every, the biggest company, Ford and General Motors and all of them were like, yeah, we're going to have self-driving cars by 2020. It was like, we're like, well, the technology technically was there by 2020. It was there by 2018. It just ended up, it wasn't good enough and it wasn't there at scale and whatever else. But like people was, are still the issue for the record. Uh, per, aren't they? Almost always. Yeah. Like it's because of the people who don't want to adopt it. Almost always. Throw a wrench in the system. But that's, yeah, that's another podcast. But yeah. I, I believe in self-driving. We'll get there. But I remember this so well. These, we were selling um, self-driving cars to a lot of restaurants, actually, and a lot of grocery companies. And a lot of these massive businesses would say, I love this. This is awesome. I see the future. This would be a much easier buy if you had electric cars because this is part of a sustainability initiative. Yeah. And I just never heard that before. Like I didn't know that massive companies like Walmart and HEB and Taco Bell that they care about sustainability enough to spend money on it. That was my first in- in- introduction into it. And then about two years ago, I joined a company called Green Places pretty early on. We were just getting started. And that idea was to bring an easy way to bring sustainability to every single business. So not focus on the Fortune 500 as much, who have 20 employees in the sustainability department, spend millions of dollars on consultants, whatever. But how do you bring this outside of the Fortune 500? How do you bring this to you know small, medium, private equity-sized businesses, small cap companies, all of whom need sustainability for a bunch of reasons we'll, we'll dive into, but they all need it. They all want it. They're all thinking about it. They're all trying to figure it out. But sustainability, I, I actually, I, one of my chapters in the book, I, I start off with a, the nerdiest possible sentence, but I say something like sustainability is a lot like the Harry Potter Bogart. I think I saw the first few words of that and I skipped over that. Paragraph. <laughs> you skipped the Harry Potter for the, for the Harry, you know, for the 18 billion Harry Potter fans out there. They're like, ah, the Bogart, like it's this shape shifting creature. And no one knows exactly what it uh, means. And that's what sustainability is. It's like, what is sustainability is yeah. for a restaurant? Is sustainability a restaurant that doesn't serve any meat? Or is it sustainability a restaurant that serves meat that's all locally grown? Is sustainability a carbon neutral restaurant? What if you're buying bad offsets? Is sustainability a restaurant that advocates for policy but doesn't donate to any nonprofit groups? Sustainability means you have only uh, you know single-use forks that are compostable, no single-use forks, no forks at all. It's very difficult to identify. Right. And so that's what 
I've been doing for the last two years, yeah. and that's what part of this book and effort is. And I hope we kind of end up there. I, I want to leave our listeners with like, here is what sustainability looks like and how you can get there and some examples of things you can start doing today to be more sustainable. I think no matter where you fall on that spectrum, as long as you're doing something and you're doing you're getting 1% better every day, you probably can't go all in if you're a small mom and pop and change everything all at once. But you can start making small changes and you don't have to be perfect today, but you can start being like 1% better every day that's right um, so um you you mentioned like how if it goes 2018 you you didn't realize that these big corporations were starting to really invest in sustainability why was that what was going on like can we get into kind of like the evolution the history of uh, our awareness of sustainability and when we kind of realized we had gone so far and, and like what that evolution has looked like over the past like maybe 40 years yeah 40 is actually kind of the right number to, yeah. to think about you might maybe extend it to 60 so I think you reference like the 70s and 80s in the book and yeah, like yeah. How things really started to catch foothold around that time Exactly. Yeah. So in the 60s, books like Silent Spring came out, uh, which was Rachel Carson's books about envi- environmental damage that woke up the government. In 1970, I think the EPA was founded. And so the U.S. government started focusing a lot on the, it was the Environmental Protection Agency, started creating laws around this stuff. In the like 70s, 80s, uh, a few companies started coming out that started using sustainability as their core strategy. So I talk about Patagonia, I talk about Ben and Jerry's. These are companies that were like weirdo founders, a bunch of hippies who were like, what's a different way of doing business? And no one ever thought they'd be successful. Everyone thought it was a weird niche thing. They said, hey, I'm Patagonia or, you know, for the food folks out there, I'm Ben and Jerry's. What if Planet was part of my three-legged strategy? For Ben and Jerry's, they have a famous three-legged stool strategy, people, planet, and profit. In that order. In that order. And Planet is a really important thing that they do. Those are a bunch of weirdo companies. But that was the start of a trend. Ironically, I was listening to, I don't know if you heard of Simon Sinek's... Um, Does start with why? Uh, no, his more recent book that came out is The Infinity Game. And he profiles Patagonia in that book about like what is an infinity game. It's a game where there is no winner. There is no end. It's a, it's a game that it's a bigger purpose. There's and, circularity in it, right? Patagonia's yeah. whole thing is I'll sell you a shirt. If there's ever anything wrong with it, give me the shirt back. I'll fix right. it. I'll give you the and We'll just cycle the shirt back and forth for 100 years until... Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I think what, the, the what they anymore. do is they they buy back or you can like send your used stuff to them so they can recycle it or upcycle it. Uh, they also... What was the other thing that they did? Like They had a, an ad where it was like, this is what it costs. This is the this is the pollution. This is the cost that this jacket, like this is like the nineties or something yeah. like that, or maybe yeah. the early two thousands, and they basically just like listed all these facts about the the damage it does to produce that one. Just jacket. what it means when something's produced yeah. in Vietnam with uh, slave labor, child labor, low yeah. paid labor, or a factory that's not clean or polluting the right. water. Something like twenty four pounds of carbon waste was made in the production of one shirt, and the shirt yeah. doesn't even like, or the jacket doesn't even weigh a pound. And that number, by the way, that twenty four. Pounds of carbon waste. That's something we're going to talk about a lot, I think, in this conversation. There's basically, and I'll talk more about the evolution of this journey of of market sustainability, but that's called carbon accounting. So carbon accounting is measuring your carbon footprint. It's measuring the impact that your business broadly, or a single product, in this case a shirt, has on the planet. And you take everything into account. So for a restaurant, when you talk about carbon accounting, you talk about energy use, you talk about all the stuff that you buy, like all the food and silverware, you talk about your employees' community to work, you talk about the the, the swag you sell because everyone wants a t-shirt with your brand on it, you talk about flying to a conference. You count up all those things because all of them obviously have some sort of impact on the planet. It's not to reprimand you. It's not to say you're bad for doing this or you're good. It's just to say let's acknowledge it 
and let's price it in. Let's think about the planetary side of it. So you talking about 24 kilograms of a shirt, that was a crazy thing to do in, in 1990, whatever. Like nobody did that, but they were the first step. Later on, maybe in the early 2000s, some companies started seeing sustainability as a market advantage. Mm. So they just said, I think our customers might care about this. I yeah. think this would be cool if we had some sustainability marketing, if we had Leonardo DiCaprio as a sponsor. Like, our, our young people would like that. That'd be a cool thing. Let's get rid of some grocery bags. That became a popular thing. Let's talk about the environment. It's funny you mention that because, like, I, I often stay in Jersey City. When I come to New York, because it's right over the bridge, the the hotel rates are like less, like yeah, like, half, so like ninety percent of the cost and eighty yeah. percent of the fun. And yeah. the <laughs> first time I was, I stayed there. I was thinking to myself, this is going to be like. A, sorry if anybody's listening to this that lives in Jersey City or Hoboken. I was like, this place is probably going to be a pit. It's going to be filthy. I got there. And like, I was like, wow, it's a lot cleaner than I, even people who live in Hoboken are surprised. Yeah. And then I went to a, um, I think a, like a, you know, like a gas station for like, I don't know, like a snack water or something like that. And I was like, I was like can I get a bag? Cause I, they're like, no, it was like, they're like, we don't, it's illegal to have bags. And I was like, that is such an obvious solution. Yeah. Just make it illegal. Yeah. Like, and people will like, what is like the benefit? We're just trying to offer a convenience to the consumer is really what it comes down to. Um, anyway, I don't want to get too far ahead, but well, that's like, too much uh, on a I'll get there, but that's sort of the last stage of sustainability. So we went into like sustainability is a market advantage. Let's talk about it. Let's be cool. Let's be one of those hip companies. Let's have some vegan stuff, whatever. Then it started becoming that was in the CMOs department. It was the chief marketing officer who was coming up with these ideas. Then in like the mid-2010s, it sort of became the CFO and the chief legal officer's job. These are businesses who are like, hey, like uh, I, I'm backed by a private equity company that has LPs in Europe. And in Europe, every bank says that every dollar it invests has to know the carbon footprint. So let me start to measure it just in case it's important. Well, the chief legal officer started realizing that companies, again, mostly in Europe, it was starting to happen in the U.S., are starting to get sued when they make unfounded sustainability claims. It's called greenwashing. Yeah. So if you, you know, this happened to Keurig in Canada, they got sued millions of dollars because they talk about their, the recyclability of their products when they actually weren't recyclable. And they just made claims that they couldn't stand by and they got sued. This happened, this started to happen. It was the chief legal officer and CFO. So it was becoming like climate as risk mitigation. What also goes to show the power of people wanting to do good and doing good is good business, but you can't say that you're doing good and then just use that leverage to sell more. You got to be, we'll talk about it. I always talk yeah. about action and transparency. Yeah. You got to act before you talk about what you're doing and yeah. you got to be very transparent about what you're doing. The risks of that as well. Well, I, I picked up one of the, the, and this was like early in, in the introduction. I will say that as we're recording this, your book is not published yet. Coming out in October. I got a It'll digital version of your book. I, I think I had like five days to read it. Um, I went through and I kind of skimmed as much of it as I could. So my uh, details aren't perfect, but I do have a big picture of what we're here to talk about and the, the arguments you made in the book. Um, I can't wait to slow down and really get into it with it though. Um, but you were talking about uh, early in the book, you're talking about this kind of evolution where uh, it was uh, the idea of sustainability was kind of on the shoulders of the consumer. And uh, these big corporations, these organizations were saying, well, the consumer wants these things. They, they want um, convenience. They want they want to travel value. everywhere. They want more clothes every right. season. They and want it's our job to give the consumer what they want. And then there was a shift that it became there was a shift where it went off the, the shoulders of the consumer and started being on the shoulders of these corporations. Yeah. What, what happened there where, where there was a transition where the this corporate responsibility started to kick in? So a little bit of history just because this is nuts. Yeah. 
the idea of a carbon footprint, what I just introduced, a lot of that early research and even the marketing campaign for it was actually started and supported by two of the biggest polluters in American business or any business. It was British Petroleum and General Motors. Okay. These two companies, oil and cars, were like, oh no, we're being slapped. Like everyone's all, all, all up in a tizzy about environmental stuff. Al Gore's documentary just came out. Michael Moore's on a rampage. Leonardo DiCaprio's talking about this stuff in his Oscar speeches. Like, oh no, woe is me. Let's invent the carbon footprint and tell individuals, hey, you should keep your carbon footprint low. Right, Eric, like you care about sustainability? No problem. Here's a calculator. British Petroleum actually put out a calculator online. It's called, I think it was at the website was bp.com slash footprint. You can probably Google this and find an old version. And you can calculate your own carbon footprint. And the optimist in that is like, oh, good for BP. They're starting to talk about this. This is great. But if you really think about it, they're like, oh, how can we like wave our hands around a bunch and get everyone off of our backs about this whole climate thing and make it your problem? Oh, like, Eric, you care about the environment? Well, go ahead. Here's your calculator. You should care about it. What changed over time is that regulation came in, and this is kind of the fourth phase, and the phase we're in now is climate compliance. When did this come in? Can you timestamp it? Just give that in Europe. The listeners in Europe, like, true regulation started coming in in, like, the late 2000s and okay. early 2010s, okay. um, where companies over a certain amount of revenue had to report on their emissions. The cap-and-trade program, which came in 2006, which basically said European companies that have more than X amount of emissions – need to buy credits from companies that have fewer emissions than that so we can have a net amount of emissions. And that was really successful and drove down the emissions of Europe quite a bit over time. In the United States, a lot of that was affected by European investors. So it always comes back to money. And most of the arguments I make in my book are not about, hey, you should be a sustainable business because uh, you know, the young kids will like it and you'll feel good about it and like, wouldn't that be nice? I, I, I hope you feel that way, but I don't really care. A lot of my argument comes down to dollars and cents and profitability and finance european dollars would not come into the united states into investments unless these were into more sustainable investments and so american private equity companies said hey i want to buy more restaurants or i want to invest in equipment or whatever i cannot get a loan or i cannot get investment unless i know my sustainability information and so that was kind of a soft external regulation but right now as we speak it's september 2023 it is expected that in October 2023, the SEC in the United States actually comes out with regulation requiring publicly traded companies to report on their carbon emissions and to build plans to reduce it. Uh, about a year ago, the federal government said that any contractor to the federal government that does more than $7 million in business with the federal government, which is who knows how many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of businesses – have to report to what's called the Carbon Disclosure Project. So these things start coming from everywhere, where European money and American government and American investors and, and BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, has been talking about the importance of ESG and came up with a, a fund solely dedicated to investing in ESG. That has been the landscape of the last 10 years, where bits and pieces and pushes and, and individual companies like Microsoft and Google started doing a lot around this stuff. But where we're at today and where we're going to be for the next 10 years is climate as compliance. If you want to be a publicly traded company already in Europe and very soon in the United States, you're going to have to know your carbon emissions and you're going to have to have a sustainability strategy. If Why is it just so the, the level of transparency so you as a consumer can choose to give your, the money to the people who you want? It's coming out of less from a consumer perspective. The, the regulatory side of it is much less about consumer choice than it is about financial transparency. 
Um, that's why it's happening under the SEC. Can you say that one more time? It's yeah, much so it's less about like you as a consumer should be able to choose a more sustainable business over less sustainable business it, to give your money about, to. And more about finance. Got it. So that's why this regulation is coming from the SEC. The so Secure- it's more about finance because these companies want to invest in brands that that's right. are doing good. Basically, if I'm an investor and I'm, I got a billion dollars to throw around here and there, my thesis is that unless you are a sustainable company, you will make less money, you'll have less opportunities, customers will want you less, and I as an investor should have transparency into that metric so I can make my decision. Yeah, you, and so you that's why that's yeah. where this is coming from. So that's why the SEC is doing this and not the Consumer Protection Agency. It's like businesses need this, and so it is good for business if we have this and it'll make It's a better, investors better. investment for us because there's longevity. That's right. There's like it, 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 it's a good investment because this this organization isn't going to go anywhere because they're not going to do anything that will put them under because they made it bad. That's right. And that seems super distant for so right. many restaurant owners. So I just want to bring it back. Like let's say you are a publicly traded company. Then this is obvious. You have to do this. Probably your investment. But is it distant team. though when you think about restaurant industry being the second largest industry, a second to healthcare, then it's probably the closest to – I don't know. Like the food production is responsible for how much waste? Oh, I talk about the four C's of climate change all the time. Yeah. The four things we really need to work on as a society are coal, cars, cement, and cows. Yeah. If we can fix those four things, coal, how we get energy, cars, how we get around, uh, cement, how we our built environment, and cows, basically the food system, that's 95% of climate change. Yeah. Like, and nothing else matters. Right. And restaurants are like one but, of the biggest energy users. Obviously, the food is related. Right. They're in the built environment. Like that's a massive. But you're looking at cow, right, or food generally, it piggybacks on like almost all those other, like especially transportation, um, because you can't produce food without getting it to the people. Restaurants think, are at the crux, and food generally is right. at the crux of so much sustainability. And on the other side, too, if we don't figure this out. Also, packaging? Sorry. Packaging. Oh, right. If we don't figure this out, then you have food shortages, and right. your food costs go up. And if you have a, you know, we, we have this huge problem where all of a sudden 99% of bananas all come from Angola, and it's literally one species of banana because whatever. I'm not going to explain banana history, yeah. but that's what happened. If there's one plague or one pest that wipes out bananas, you can't serve your banana smoothie right. anymore and you're going to lose 20 grand of revenue and that hurts your business. So like sustainability matters from all ends. If you want private equity money, if you want more customers to come to you, which we can talk more about like the marketing and consumer choice. Right. If you want to save money on stuff, if you want to, to grow my favorite example, I'll tell this one really quickly of how much this affects a non publicly traded company restaurant is there's a, I won't name them, but there's a very big business that sells, that um, uh, runs restaurants in airports and train stations. That's their thing. They're, they're in these transportation hubs. They have a couple thousand restaurants. Uh, they started losing bids in new, re- in new airports because they didn't have a sustainability strategy. All these new airports said, hey, we are only giving bids to businesses who have sustainability strategies. Like we're an airport, we're super pollutant, we're trying to think about it. You need to have this. This massive company started losing bids. They started building a sustainability strategy. They're one of my clients, so I've been working with them a lot. Started building this stuff out and started winning bids because they're a good business. They're a good operator. They make good food. They have all this stuff, but you need to serve your customers, which is the individuals who buy your food, but it's also your landlord and your investors and everyone else. 
you need you got to serve them what they want and they want and require sustainability plan yeah uh, i mean there's a lot of stuff i kind of want to talk i definitely want to make sure we get into the, the the benefits of why you should consider being more sustainable why like what like what's in it for you as a restaurant owner and how you can go about doing that uh and we'll get into the measure reduce and communicate the the kind of the pillars that you've identified as where to start and what this rolling this out looks like, but we have almost two more hours. To go. I mean, we got an hour and a half or an hour and 25 minutes. Let's chit chat. Uh, and I'm just kind of, I mean, I think this is just kind of a fun topic, right? So I kind of started by asking you, it went from the corporation saying this is a consumer issue. We are just here to give the consumer what the consumer wants. And then the, the sh- that shifted to being a, a corporate responsibility. And you said that's really because that's where um, these investors, I think you had a quote in the book from uh, Blackstone, the the CEO of Blackstone. Blackrock. Um, Black, thank you. Yeah. Eh, Stone Rock. Honestly, what's the difference? <laughs> they, they couldn't think of better names for themselves. Right. That's thank crazy. You, thank you for the correction. <laughs> um, I had it written down. Um, where do, uh, I'm, I'm scrolling. I need like a big, I wish I could travel with a giant monitor. We need a big TV screen. If you want to control F, Larry Fink, it was probably like, Yeah, Larry yeah. Fink. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you know the quote i had Probably a couple of them. I, don't I have it written down here for me to read it yeah head over. so um so again uh larry fink black rock ceo i believe that we are on the edge of a, fen- a fundamental reshaping of finance in the near future and sooner than most anticipate there will be a significant reallocation of capital which is kind of what you were alluding to we believe that the sustainability should be our new standard of investing so that's kind of when did this quote come do you know when this was i think that one was from larry fink's 2020 one or 2022 annual letter to shareholders. And let me like set some context. So that's recent. In case you don't know BlackRock, they're the largest Trillions. asset manager in the yeah. world. I think $8 trillion yeah. under management. Like they, I, I put this quote, I basically, yeah. like, to, I set the context in the book and I'm basically like when Larry Fink speaks, every business in the world listens. Because if you want loans, investments, customers, what they say matters. So that's yeah. like setting the stage. And, and there's been a lot of recent back and forth about ESG, call it what you want, whatever. But like that that quote that you just read, which is a great pull quote, is like if that's not the clearest business argument for thinking about sustainability ever, then I don't know what it is. Like the largest investor on earth. And I say this also like I think immediately after that quote, I think I say something like, so what happened? Did Larry Fink become a hippie? Did Larry Fink like, did his kids pester him to care about the planet? Did he you know, go to his private island and realize there's fewer turtles than there were last year. Yeah. No way. Like, no, none of that happened. None of that happened. What happened is that he realized he could make a whole lot more money following consumer trends, following consumer trends. Yeah. And the current consumer trend and the current everything tr- and regulatory trend and whatever is figuring out sustainability. It's yeah. just, it's, I almost called the book good business. Because that's doing what good I was is trying good to business. say. And it's I say good, that like, all the time. Doing good is end. good business. It's on either end. And yeah. I think that this is kind of the, when I say Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement is to transform the world through inspiring and empowering the, the restaurant industry. I believe that if we, and what you're seeing here, it's it's happening is like that. Um, I think it's, if you open a business, if you start a business, it's, it's your responsibility. I think doing good is good business, but it's your responsibility. Uh, we talk about this in Matt uh, Pepsil's book, or he, he talked about this in his book. We discuss it on the podcast. Um, what's the name of the book? I always forget. Uh, Expand the Circle. And it's this idea of enlightened leadership where like leadership starts with you. Right. When you lift yourself up, you lift up the people that were, you know, closest to you, family, friends, uh, to the people that you work with, to the organization you work for. I think this is kind of what's happening right now is this idea of like these investors and it's all stemmed from the consumer, what the consumer wants. And it's kind of like this back and forth. But I kind of make the argument that it is to your point, 
how we how we are to the these CEOs points like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that the consumer really at the end of the day and consumer is like a, a capitalistic consumer market consumerism or what's the word I'm looking for? Um, capitalism, not capitalism, but uh, I think consumerism was not. Yeah. What am I, why am I struggling right now? Could be. I'll give you consumerism. You yeah. Can. But like, uh, it's capitalism, but what's the word? Um, is it consumerism? Yeah. When people yeah. like you're led by what people buy and what people want. I don't know buy why I'm at a loss for words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're giving but you consumerism. At the end yeah. Of, yeah. At the end of the day, really, um, people, we're just trying to give the consumer what they want. I think we're, reacting to the consumer and giving the consumer what they want isn't necessarily the best thing for everybody. And it's a difficult thing too, right? right? Like take sustainability, right? Let's, let's bring it into a restaurant context into what you'd actually do. What is it that customers want? They don't necessarily want as every restaurant owner knows, even those who care a lot about sustainability don't want a vegan plastic free everything you know super expensive because those all produce in the backyard products that's all they want that, like consumers never going to buy that yeah uh what a great example is like um uh ben and jerry's head of sustainability was interviewed and someone was asking her about like oh so what are you guys doing like about sustainability dairy is obviously a huge issue for an ice cream company like ben and jerry's it's like yeah you know we started this line of vegan ice creams but honestly consumers don't want them yeah. Like when they buy ice cream, they want delicious, right. fatty, they want dairy. To make a bad de- so the decision. Yeah. It's all about making bad decisions. So you got to give consumers what <laughs> yeah. they want. And right. for Ben and Jerry's, they should have the vegan line. There's a group of people who want that and who choose that. But that's not what consumers want. So you as a restaurant owner need to think really hard about what it is that your customer wants and begin to make changes where you can. Well, I guess the point that I was trying to make is that I think we have to come to this point where it's not about and I think this manifests in the world of hospitality and restaurants by just offering value. And the way that we make money by offering value is by giving a lot of stuff at really low, you know, low quality. We'll say, you know, like trying to give the most perceived value, the McDonald's do it business. as cheap as possible, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's just not good for everybody. You know, I just feel like there's like there's this point where I think that um, businesses have to kind of take a foothold and say, "Listen, consumer, cut the shit." You know, like we can't give you what you want because what you want isn't good for all of us. Like there has to be like a shift in tide. And it's because businesses can be smarter than consumers. Right. A business can hire somebody to educate them about what's good and what's bad and how to do something better. Consumers just like, I've only ever eaten this, so I'm going to keep eating this because it's delicious. But a business can be like, all right, great example is just salad, which is a big New York city chain here, which I, I had for lunch and I love, uh, they do such a good job. So Just Salad is a B Corp, uh, a benefit corporation. They have, I think, 60 or so locations, mostly around New York. They might have expanded it a little bit. Um, and they're fantastic. And one of the things that they did that was nuts is every fast, casual restaurant ever said the most obvious thing, which is the only way to serve our customers is in a plastic bowl that they'll take out and throw away, or disposable bowl. Initially, it was plastic. You know, The Chipotle came around. It was kind of compostable. Just Salad said, that's, that's insane. That's not the only way to do this. This is what consumer wanted because all consumers knew was a compostable bowl. So yeah, just because we created that 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 consumer habit, the you know we that, created that was. habit yeah. because we gave them what they want, convenience. Yeah, they want a convenience. They want to throw it out. God just, forbid you travel with your own bag in like bowl. You know, like oh my god, insane. Except 
there's a huge swath of consumers who all of a sudden wanted it. And Just Salad yeah. worked really hard to create a reusable bowl program where you're like, you pay a dollar to get the bowl and then you get a dollar off all your meals and you bring it back and you wash and they wash it. And yeah, and I'm sure that bowl hangs on the outside of their bag because they want the entire world to know how thoughtful and considerate they are about the And it is crushing. <laughs> yeah. Like that bowl program is crushing and it's amazing and it's doing so well and the idea of a reusable bowl was just so insane for a business of business so i'm assuming you're size. selling you're probably profiting on the bowl right they make and and yeah that aside the business makes money left and right yeah like more people go to just salad because what do i want to choose just salad that i have the bowl for or their competitor that are like i don't know i don't have the bowl or yeah. or i'll choose just salad right. even if i don't have the bowl because i like that they're the kind of business that gives me the bowl or they can charge a dollar extra for all their salads, bowl aside, just because they're the type of business that does this and sustainability matters and we're a B Corp and let's charge a dollar extra because you're, uh, you're you're working with a higher-end clientele who cares about the, whatever. Like they're saving money on on all the all the plastic bowls right. that they would be buying, composable bowls that they'd be buying otherwise. On every stream, if you do this stuff well, sustainability is about waste reduction and waste reduction just means saving money. Right. Right. Uh, I think there's another. Um, so to wrap up this thought, I guess in this, I'm not the expert. I'm not trying to be here telling you, the listener, what to do. I'm, I'm here to learn. Uh, but where I fall personally is I think I'm, I'm pro-capitalism. I, th- I think I'm anti-consumerism, though. And consumer, I think consumerism is all about literally consuming and and making sure that you know we have the what is it the uh, nucleus uh, family like where like every marriage has a house and every house has a lawnmower and like yeah, it's all it about, a, a turkey in every oven and a car in every garage exactly uh, right and that's unsustainable right that's just that's about just trying to make things for the sake of commerce and business and in economy i just like produce and production right produce, and that was produce, what produce. the 80s and 90s was globalization right. it was mass manufacturing it was but that's how many cheap dollar toys can we get from china i think it's a version of capitalism, but I mean, is like it's, capitalism it's a, is just. I think capitalism is really just like immense cap- choice. You mentioned conscious capitalism, yeah, right. So sorry, I cut you short. Immense choice. Capitalism, capitalism is just choice, right? All right. capitalism is is a consumer can get whatever they want, right? And if what they want is super cheap toys from China, they can get super cheap toys from China. China at but the that's moment, freedom technically that's right? freedom, the, the, the that, freedom of choice for sure. And that capitalism is like let's create the economic system in which businesses can produce that, and we won't regulate them so they can't. Whatever, but. Capitalism also means let's evolve. Let's build really successful long-term companies. Let's make sure we're not sued by the government for polluting a river. Let's make sure that young customers who care more about the planet or care more about whatever young customers care about choose my business over anyone else. And customer uh, capitalism today is a world away from capitalism in the 90s. There's two different things. I think a lot of people would argue that capitalism capitalism is about getting returns for the stakeholders. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. But – is that was that the intention of capitalism, or was that one person's perception of what capitalism should be that was popularized a long time ago? Man, we are getting deep. I like this. I like you know this a saying? lot. Yeah, I don't know if any of your listeners are going to like this, but I like this. I all think a it's lot. really, like, yeah. but like I'm having fun. So like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's important to talk about this stuff because really, about when it comes down to sustainability, it's about choice. It's about enlightenment. It's about sharing information, empowering people with knowledge. And that's what we're here to do. And I think it's our, where I'm going with this kind of come full circle. I think it's our responsibility as restaurant owners to educate the consumer and say, Hey, yeah, this burger might be $10, but it was grown 10 miles away and, and raised holistically sustainably. And I don't think that beef or cows are evil, but I think that the system that it exists in 
a centralized food system where we're, you know, shipping food all over the country from one spot, that is unsustainable, you know, but cows could also be the, the answer if you're talking about regenerative farming, right? So it's not like you said, and that kind of leads us to the next thing. Like, what is sustainability? Like, how do you define it? Does that mean beyond burgers? I don't necessarily think that's the answer because that's almost just as bad as cows when you're mono farming. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not that clear. It's not clear. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah. To, just like you and I struggle to define right. capitalism, consumerism. Like, and I'm not an economist. I'm sustainability, a dummy from East New Hampshire. So like, I'm doing my best here. Sustainability is very difficult to define. Right. And so I try to come up. I have a curse in a WeWork. I'm kind of being I think only in a WeWork. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the, Soundproof? WeWork is a safe space. Yeah. You should okay. see the salespeople like, out there. In the, I don't want to get hall. you in trouble. <laughs> no, it's encouraged. We'd be kicked okay. out if we didn't curse. Sorry. Um, Sustainability is difficult to define. It means so many things. Right. You just brought up what should be a simple conversation, and it opens up a can of massive worms. Meat, no meat, some meat, right. a kind of meat, local meat, expensive meat, uh, uh, chicken but no cows. Like, no idea, right? So what I try to do is I try to come up with a framework that says if you do these things, you are basically running a successful sustainability program. And these things is measure, reduce, and communicate. Yeah. So you want to measure your internal emissions, your carbon emissions, and your business metrics. And I'll explain all these, but you want to measure internal emissions and business metrics. You want to reduce internal emissions and stakeholder emissions. And then you want to communicate on required reporting and voluntary marketing. So let me explain all of those quickly, and then we can dive into whatever seems most interesting. Yeah, we should probably take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Are you overwhelmed by phone calls during a peak mealtime hours? Why let the phone ring when Reachify can direct callers to online ordering, reservations, catering, and so much more? Instead of losing business, automatically turn calls into orders. Infuse your phone with smart technology that can save you time and money and increase revenue for your restaurant. And while Reachify is paying 
paying for itself, you can allow your employees to focus on other tasks instead of taking orders and answering facts that are easily found online. Driving digital sales should be a priority as it's been shown to lead to stronger loyalty and higher ticket averages. Not to mention you're getting that precious customer data that you can market to. Reachify, be in control of the conversations you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. Again, that's reachify.io slash unstoppable. We're back. Um, so you were just getting into the kind of the pillars that we're going to be talking about. Do you want to list those one more time quickly? Yeah. So you want to, I try to create a framework that's going to be really easy for people to understand if they're doing the sustainability thing or not. So it's called measure, reduce, communicate. You want to be measuring internal, uh, you want to be measuring sustainability metrics and business metrics. You want to be reducing internal emissions and stakeholder emissions. And you want to be communicating on required reporting and voluntary marketing. So I'll touch upon those six things really, really quickly, and we can dive into whatever. But with measurement, you want to measure your uh, sustainability metrics and your business metrics. Sustainability metrics really mostly means your carbon emissions. So you want to do what's called carbon accounting, uh, which we can dive into, and, and that's the work I mostly do. But you want to measure the impact your business has on the planet, and you want to measure business metrics associated with that. Because a good sustainability program is not one that just reduces emissions to zero in a vacuum. It's one that helps the business be more successful. So tied to anything you do around sustainability, you want to make sure it's increasing profitability, increasing revenue, decreasing costs, increasing customer engagement, increasing employee retention. What are the business are, metrics are that matters? On the reduce, you want to reduce internal emissions and stakeholder emissions. So you want to make your carbon footprint go down, and you want to help all your stakeholders, maybe customers, maybe investors, maybe your realtors, maybe other people in your market, bring their emissions down. Happy to give examples of that. And on communicate, you want to do required reporting, and voluntary marketing. So required reporting is like if you want to comply with the SEC or if one of your largest customers asks you to uh, apply to the CDP framework or if your investors are asking you for data around your carbon emissions. That's all required. And then voluntary marketing is how do you build a brand around sustainability? How do you tell your customers what you're doing and not get accused of greenwashing? How do you get your employees excited and use this as a recruitment strategy? So if you're doing those three things, measure, reduce, communicate, and focusing on the two pillars between each one of those, you'll basically have the crux of a sustainability program. You want to customize things based on your business and your size and uh, your values and what you care about and what's possible and what's cheap or affordable or, or you can do or whatever. But that's kind of the crux of what you ha- you should be doing to have a sustainability program. Okay. So we're going to unpackage these three um, pillars. I don't, what would what the, the, the choice description you like to call these things? Uh, it's a framework. Framework. Uh, it's a framework. framework. I'll call it framework going forward. It seems, it seems official. I feel like my <laughs> yeah. business professor would be proud of me. I am kind of curious and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. I'm, where do you fall as somebody who spends their time um, studying sustainability? Like, like in terms of like what you consider to be sustainable, do you think cows are bad? You think that we should stop eating meat? I'm just curious. Like, where do you, like what is like what is your perspective on this? Teach me something. Are cows bad? So I would say, just not necessarily the, to that. No, I think question, I think like, that's actually a, that's a good framework because you can see I'm struggling with are cows bad? Right. I would say no. Cars, cars, cows are not bad. We've been 
farming for 10,000 years and we built this amazing culture and, and I'm Jewish and I'm cooking a brisket for Rosh Hashanah in three days. Like, right. no, I don't think cows are bad. I do think the system in which cows are currently raised is a huge, huge, right. huge, huge problem. And so the way I buy meat is I buy meat from actually the oldest butcher in New York happens to be down the street from me. I buy butcher from my, buy my meat from Stabitz market, most of which is local meat, most of which I pay a lot more money for than I would anywhere else. And I try to make it grass fed and organic when I can and try not to make it every meal. Are cows bad? I don't think so. Are cows going away? Absolutely not. Um, Is McDonald's ever going to stop selling real burgers? No freaking way. (laughs) But the system is complicated. It's bad. It's wrong. It's, It's something we need to get out of. But I think the one thing that we pointed out is that it's at the end of the day, most of these organizations, what drives this is the consumer, right? So, I don't know. I think it's just a matter of educating people. And I think that's the reason why I'm bringing this back to the surface after we took a break and got away from it is because I think it's really important that if I live out my mission to transform the world through inspiring and empowering the, the restaurant industry, I have to encourage restaurant tours to educate the consumer and say, Hey, um, you know, create a, a business that has an affinity game that has an overarching purpose or mission and educate people. Um, and when you do that, you, you attract onto yourself the future, right? The people who want to identify with your values. And, um, you know, I think this is conscious capitalism, right? Um, but it's hard. Like you see people coming out and I've had people on the show who are, who specialize in vegan, right? Or only do beyond burgers or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, cool. They got a yeah, specific type of consumer. Or like whatever, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I think it's also important is like, is that, is, is, is something that's less or not as sustainable or maybe slightly more sustainable than something else necessarily a sustainable thing? Like is the, the Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger truly a sustainable I like thing? to say that I, there's, while sustainability is super clear. There's no such thing as actually sustainable. Right. And the difference there is sustainability is about progress. It's about a journey. It's about, you said earlier, getting 1% better every day. It's about improving things. Sustainable is, there's no end in sight. It's not like, oh yeah, if you reach this thing, if you become carbon neutral, if you are vegan, if you uh, never drive or fly a day in your life. You are sustainable. You might be living sustainably. You might be further down the road of sustainability. Uh, the original cover design that I had for this book was a ladder that like a green ladder that went all the way up basically saying like, it goes the, like you'll never see the finish to it is just about progress. So right. when you're thinking as a business owner at a restaurant and let's say you're, you're a burger shop and you're like, I can't do like I'm a, I sell cheeseburgers like literally, what what can I possibly be doing? I, I'm not going to stop selling cheese. I'm Zingerman's Deli. You right. talk about Zingerman's. Zingerman's Deli has the best sandwiches in the world. So good. So if good. If you're like, ever in Ann Arbor or within an hour of Ann Arbor, if you're on Route 90, if you are, West, if you are in the Midwest, go three hours out of your way. <laughs> like make Zing, it happen. Zingerman's is insane, and their and their pastrami Ruben, like just the whole thing is wild. It's not about. And I told them this before we ever worked together. I said, "I'm not telling you, you should stop selling meat. That's insane. It's it's not a, it's not with your it's culture. Also ludicrous. It's not what your customers yeah. want. It's yeah. not good for your business. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's about improving things a little bit over time. It's if you sell meat, uh, get rid of the plastic packaging. Right. Start there. Don't change the food at all. Your food is what you spent 60 years building. If you are sell meat, can you get a little bit more of it locally? If you sell meat, can you charge an extra dollar or two? 
for this sandwich and move a dollar out of every sandwich into some sort of uh, environment, like carbon removal project or an environmental nonprofit right. or whatever. Like, how can you continue to make progress? I think part of the issue is anybody who's alive right now, like, we live in a world that's unrecognizable if you go back 70, 80 years ago. Our, like, grandparents, great-grandparents, if they were to, like, travel into the future and see how good we have it and how convenient our world is and how good we've gotten at mass production and industrialization. All we know is what we know and what we know ironically is unprecedented relative to not that long ago. And I think it's a matter of just taking your perspective and go, Oh my God, like never before have we been so good at producing cows? Never before you know? could you have meat three times a day. Right. That's an insane exactly. idea. Exactly. And I think that it's all about perspective because what we know, if you came up, you were born in America and you grew up in this country, all you know is abundance. You know, And I think that it's really just important to say, listen, is meat evil? No. Is our relationship with meat fucking bonkers? Absolutely. Because we just have so much abundance. We have so much wealth and never before has maybe with the argument of like the Sinuit who like only ate like Buffalo and woolly mammoth and they survived off that. Like, but normally it's not like there's a, there's more of a carnivore diet that's balanced. Look, I think uh, the people who work in the sustainability movement and, and work on that effort on a broad spectrum. Um, and there's certainly a group of like environmental I don't know, hard nose, hard sound negative, but whatever people who are really strict on it. The ones who are like throwing cans of soup at the Mona Lisa to like, uh, fight against fossil fuels. We're like, we got to stop now. Like we all got to be like, we've gone too far. We all got to be vegan. We all can't travel anymore. We all need this stuff. And I, I think it's really important to have them push the conversation and have them do all that. I said a little further down the spectrum, which is, um, perhaps, uh, Whatever it is, but like I think that we are not moving away very far, very fast from what we have now. Which is not happening. I like to travel. I go on planes. Yeah, I like to. I, I eat meat. I confess that I want to buy an RV. Yeah, nine like, miles to the gallon. It's just it's <laughs> those are the things that they are. But we need to continue to improve. My uh, my my aunt tells the story in the book. But my aunt Luba, uh, my family's all immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Uh, they are amazed every day to this point in a way only an immigrant could be by how much America has to offer, and it is all a miracle as it genuinely truly is. Uh, and uh, I posted on LinkedIn something about sustainability. We all got to make progress, and we all got to live in a better world. And she commented on there. And I post this picture in the book. Uh, she commented on there and says. I'm all for a better planet, but are you ready to live without a refrigerator? Because I am not. <laughs> and like, no. <laughs> Think about how much more fresh food would be if you had to like eat it immediately and like it was more local. No, and- I mean, I'm not ready to live. Like, no, I'm definitely not Aunt Luba living without my refrigerator. Like neither are you. I know it used the energy. I do like my frozen smoothies. I know refrigerators are bad for the planet, but like, no, it's not about getting rid of your refrigerator. It's just about making progress and improving. And can we use less harmful refrigerants? Right. Can we buy a high quality carbon offsets for the energy and the refrigerant gases that are emitted. Can we try to buy fresh and also think about the transportation? Like you need to think about these things. It's not about deleting it. That's never going to happen. There should be vegan restaurants. Like we work with slutty vegan. They're a great restaurant brand. Past guests on the show. All the, like that's awesome. Things like that right behind us actually is beatnik a New York city place, which is all vegan. That's great. I it's, don't have the answers. I just like to poke the beast, man. <laughs> I just like to poke the beast and say, is this really better? Or like, 
and like who I mean the only way you know or you learn is by just discussing it and, yeah. and you know throwing rocks at a and that's why measurement is a, so that's why measurement building. is the first first part of this framework because if you say all right great I'm a business owner what do I do right great segue what do I do <laughs> thank great, you thank, yeah then, thanks for pulling me off my uh, I just like talking about this stuff dude I secretly just love talking it's about cool this like stuff. it's all sustainability is such a good vibe yeah it's, everyone it's, cares about it. it's not. Yeah. Like you have the doomsday end of the world group. Like it's also super fun to be better, greener. I have a two hour long podcast so I can have my fun. (laughs) I want to be able to selfishly talk about things that I think are interesting, but we still have an hour before we have to wrap (laughs) things up. So there's plenty of time to unpackage these pillars, but you're right. What gets measured gets minded is one of the things that we like to say here. Yeah. You have to measure it in order to track your progress. You got to know where you're at. So if you say, look, this happens all the time. A restaurant goes, all right, I care about this. Who knows the reason? Maybe my customers care about it. Maybe my private equity firm is making me do this. Maybe I, I, I'm on a college campus and I think the kids will like it. Maybe my employees really keep badgering me. Whatever. I care about it. What do I do? First thing you should do is measure your carbon emissions. Do what's called carbon accounting. And you take a look at, there's three scopes of emissions. Scope one, scope two, scope three. And scope three has 15 categories. These aren't made up by me. This is by what's called the GHG protocol, which is international body. So companies as big as Google and as small as uh, Just Salad all measure emissions according to the same rules. Scope one emissions for a restaurant is going to be what's called fugitive emissions. You said fugitive? Fugitive. Okay. So that's going to be things like cars that you might own. Uh, things like your refrigerators are going to fall under there. Maybe your propane, fugitive emissions. Scope two emissions are going to be purchased electricity. So that's going to be the electric bill you get predominantly. And you know, based on where you are in the country, whether it's uh, generated by coal or by renewables or by hydro or whatever. And scope three is everything else in your business. The 15 categories cover everything from it's called purchase goods and services, so all the meat and the forks and the paper napkins and whatever, to your employee commute, to the, the uh, flying to a marketing conference to learn more, whatever. So you want to measure your carbon footprint because once you get that broad number back, and it usually ends up being something like a thousand metric tons of emissions per restaurant. Very, very broad uh, generalization. But once you get the number back, you can say, wow, for me, the majority of my emissions are in my purchased goods and services. And specifically, it's in meat or in flour because that has a pretty high emissions factor or whatever else. Uh, another big chunk is my scope two emissions, my energy use or my employee commute. These are all big chunks in typical restaurants. Which one? can I afford to focus on? Which one do I want to focus on? Which one can I focus on? So you might say, okay, obviously meat is my biggest emitter. I just, I'm not getting rid of that and I don't have the headspace to bring in a Beyond Burger option and I can't deal with local farms. Or I just can't do that this year. Let me focus on my employee commute. Let me make some progress there. Let me give everyone a bus pass for working here. Let me encourage them taking, let me build out a bike lock outside in the back that's like super safe and secure and encourage people to take their bikes. Or let me focus on energy. Can I switch to renewable energy, which is actually often a lot easier and more profitable than you might think it would be? Like, what changes can you make? But it starts with measurements so you can get a, a good grasp of where you're at. How hard is it to measure these things? I know people listening to this who want to make a conscious effort to be better. Yeah. I'm, I'm, they're, think, they're getting an anxiety attack right now listening to this, thinking, like, I have to do this on top of working an 80-hour week. Yeah. Like, uh, so that you have a couple of options. Right. You can do it yourself. It's free. And it takes more time. So you can like Google EPA carbon footprint calculator. Uh, the EPA has a good one, big spreadsheet. You pull all this data. You got to do it all yourself and you get a number. And it's not a number that's good enough to give to a private equity firm or an investor, but it's a number that's good enough to start with. So you can do that. It's free. That'll probably take you 
20, 30 hours over the course of however long you want to like pull it all together. I think it's also important too that this is a very delegatable thing. And for sure, the, the CEO should not be like, right. Like if you give this to an operator, you give this to a marketer, you give this to an HR yeah. person, you give this to somebody, uh, what's called a green team, just someone younger who cares AGM, about sustainability. Somebody. Yeah, exactly. Hey, here's like, here's a challenge. Do it well. And, and like someone ambitious, whatever. So you don't right. like you, should, this is not the CEO's job yeah. ever right. are the operators. Um, so you can do that. You can hire a consultant. Um, they'll make it easy for you. They'll kind of do a lot How of the much work. How you budget for they'll, like, they'll guide you through. It depends a lot on the size of the business. Um, can you give me some ballparks? Yeah, let's say you're a uh, yeah. Let's go small, medium, large. Ten locations, a hundred locations, a thousand locations. Um, if you're a ten location business, you probably should not be spending more than like I don't know, maximum thirty thousand dollars on like a really, really good software to do this stuff really, really well. You could also probably get something for five to ten thousand. That's fine. Um, if what you're are those softwares that you would is that. So it's one of the things I do, not, uh, not to push it, but Green Places is, is one option. For the record, I did not know this. This is not plugged. This is <laughs> so, was it gonna purely mention it organic. Yeah. yeah, so like whatever. There's, there's other softwares out there, um, and, and you could just Google carbon accounting software and find whatever you find. Yep. Um, and so that, that's got that option. If you have 100 locations, oh, maybe you're going to be spending uh, $50,000 to $150,000, depending on complexity and size and things like that. And if you've got 1,000 locations, you're probably going to be spending between – uh, you know, a hundred and five hundred thousand dollars on this kind of thing, but that's, that should be all encompassed. It's going to measure the emissions, it's going to help you reduce emissions. It's going to give you access to buying renewable energy credits. Or it's going to be a sophisticated sustainability. Yeah, program. it's probably going to take all the research away because I would imagine it'd be a very step by step. Yeah, here's the first thing. Yeah. Here's the second thing, kind of like, and it protects you as well. So, like, I talk a lot in the book, and it's also very important for consumer facing businesses, especially to understand the term greenwashing. Have you heard the you know greenwashing? It's this is? idea that you use the you project this image of being sustainable for the sole appeal to consumers yeah. and, and, way, and, really doing it. and it sounds malicious and sometimes right. it is sometimes people are like they put a, they call it a green sheen they're basically like oh if i can pretend like i'm sustainable everyone will like that it's not always malicious like really big airline delta uh, just got sued over over uh over greenwashing um keurig i mentioned earlier ryanair got sued over this like really big companies do this unintentionally small companies might do it by accident or on purpose but like you just don't want to get this stuff wrong and if you work with an external partner or consultant or a software or whatever anytime you say anything about sustainability which hopefully you say a lot and you educate people and you talk about it and it's part of your marketing plan or whatever you can say and and you know, point to them and say here's how i know like here's the partner we worked with. Here's the report. Here's the math that we did. Here's where we got real data. Over people, so are, it takes on the liability off of the, yeah. the restaurant because there's a a process. So this yeah. is kind of similar to um, if you have you need some type of system put in place for sexual harassment or harassment in general. As long as you can point to some system and say, hey, when this happens. We have a system. Our employees have been trained on this. They signed off on it. If you have that system in place and you educate your staff on that system, then you kind of take the liability off. It's just like one of those. I'm assuming it's similar to that. Yeah, that's exactly right. You want to be able to say, I am doing this is a difficult topic and I'm doing what I can around it. And here's what that looks like. And here's who I am trusting. Could prove that you're making an effort. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And when you're hiring these people, I actually uh, today is what's what's today September twelfth. Twelfth. I posted on LinkedIn like ten questions to ask your carbon accounting vendor before hiring them. So you can you know Google my name and find that post from September twelfth. And like, I, there's a whole list. It's also in the book, but like, there's a list of questions like 
you don't want to be sold by a good salesperson. You want to be able to push back and ask questions, but it's things like, um, uh, what protocol do you follow? How do you think about the difference between primary data and secondary data? Uh, how difficult is this going to be? What, what, like, have you worked with investors before? Whatever, list of questions. You want to make sure that you're getting something good because sustainability right. is complicated and you want to use that as a huge business advantage, not a cost center. And it starts with getting really good data. Uh, you don't want to, overdo it like, right. you know you got a whole business to run and food to what buy, if you have so. less than 10 locations usually i don't know then you probably don't need something very sophisticated honestly like plug the book adriel by the book, the book. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a small business like the goal of this book attainable sustainability building your corporate climate strategy coming to an amazon or books are near you in like october-ish <laughs> uh is is say, like here's what you do like it, Here's, if you want to do a good job, here's where you start. If you want to do an okay job because you're a small business, you got other things to do, here's how you do an okay job. If you want to do an amazing job because you want to be like just salad and become a B, benefit corporation, a B Corp, and lean into this really hard and put it on your homepage, like here's how you be really gung-ho. If you want to just do this because you're backed by a, a private equity firm, like here's what they want to know. And here's – if you want to raise money – like. I try to cover all those things and to say it is a spectrum. You can be crazy gung-ho. You can just be – compliant um but it is a journey you don't have to do the whole thing in a year either i secretly can't stand b corps <laughs> tell me more all right i love Juicy. the idea Juicy. i love the idea of b corps don't get me wrong i think that they're great i think that they mean well but i think that i think all businesses should hold themselves to that standard you know what i'm saying it's just like why can't we why do we have to create a separate yeah but i think it's because structure? businesses won't hold themselves i think people businesses need a marker they need to know if I reach that certification, I'm good. And B Corp is a certification. B Corp says, yeah, you did all this stuff. You're good. Otherwise, if there was no B Corp, what would they no say? Like, I'm a good C Corp? Like, I get it. I I pro- get it. Like, it's, actually, it's very relevant because there's a huge conversation. I talk about this in the book as well, um, about like corporate carbon accounting, the stuff we're talking about, is a waste of time. Right. And I'll give you the counter argument because I genuinely believe it in parts, is to say – why am I measuring my emissions? Why am I wasting money on consultants? What if instead of giving you $30,000, I gave it all to the uh, Environmental Defense Fund or I gave it all to some land nonprofit near me? Like, wouldn't that be a better use of my $30,000? And yeah, like, yeah, don't, don't, why would you give a consultant $30,000 if you can give, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the seals in the Arctic $30,000? For sure. But businesses need a certification to get to. They need to know that they're doing a good job because if they are that. doing a good job, then hopefully there will be plenty of more $30,000 to give to the SEALs or the EDF or, or whatever. I mean, I don't literally hate B Corps. I get why they exist. I, but it's just, for me, it's just this mindset. It's annoying like, that you need certifications for like right. a pat on the back, like you're doing a good job. And it's really hard to become a B Corp. It takes years. You got to do a bunch of stuff, whatever. But like, wouldn't it be nice? I know. I Wouldn't know. it be nice? Just a little pet peeve of mine, just because I feel like everybody. Just, but I also think every business should do good. You know, like should but won't. And it's uh, a good way of saying like, fair. well, but, we know they did good because they're a B Corp, and we're not sure if the, they maybe the other guys did good too. But like, maybe they didn't. Right. Maybe they didn't. I don't know why it bothers me. It just does. But I get it. I good. get it. Good. Well, you need you need <laughs> you need antagonists for all things because it's so easy to be like. uh Hey, here's a certification. It's good. You spend all your money on it. You shouldn't even think about it. Everyone should be the certification. You need the flip side of that to say, is the certification a waste of my time? Right. Can't you just do all the B Corp ish things 
without being a B Corp and save yourself the money, the time, the hassle, the whatever. Exactly. That's kind of where I live. Probably. Yeah. But people want certain, they want I, stickers, they want stamps, they I want, understand. they Systems, want to be processes, able to. procedures, they have their place. <laughs> I'm, I love chaos. What can I say? Uh, so what we've covered under uh, measurement is this uh, idea. We, we talked about the three scopes. We talked about, um, you know, where, depending on where you fall, what you can expect to spend and what that looks like and, you know, we should, how it should be delegated. Um, have we gotten into defining your operational Operational um, boundary. boundary. That just yeah. means um, that's just like how it's a it's a technical term about how you measure emissions. So it's just saying like what are my corporate emissions and what is external. Okay. So for a restaurant, you might say, "Oh, I want to include all my energy bills. That's part of my operational boundary, but I don't want to include waste because I share waste with the whole strip mall, and that would just get complicated." Yeah. Or you might say, "I want to include." Um, yeah, I want to include, I don't want to include my swag that I sell. Cause like, yeah, I sell some t-shirts, but like, it's not really my core business and it feels like a headache and I don't want to include it. So I'm measuring your operational boundaries is something your consultant or your software provider or whatever is going to ask you like, Hey, I see you sell t-shirts at your restaurant. Like, do you want to take ownership over them? Or like, is that going to be a hassle? And you might say, Hey, it's a hassle. Like maybe next year I'll do that. It's just, it doesn't seem worth it. Yeah. Or maybe you say, yeah, like part of my business, I should do it. Got it. Um, so I think we talked about, is there anything we haven't discussed in terms of measure that is important? The only other thing I'd say, and this gets you, this is 90% of measure, is measure your carbon footprint, like that's 90% of it. Some businesses want to measure other environmental metrics. Like so you think about Coca-Cola measures water use. Water use is not covered in your carbon footprint very directly, but for Coca-Cola, it's very important for the sustainability program that are they're called what's water positive. Is it like 99% of their product is water? 99% of their product is water. They yeah. take who knows how many billions of gallons of water out of reservoirs. They want to be able to put water back in, so they measure water. Um, you might measure, I talk about Best Buy has this amazing recycling program, uh, e-waste program. That's not covered in their carbon footprint. It's just the, the GHG protocol doesn't account for Best Buy's e-waste program. But they want to measure the success of their e-waste program because the electronic recycling is really core to their brand. So as your restaurant, you might say, I want to measure something that's just doesn't exist in my corporate carbon footprint, but that's like, that's level five. Like that, that'll, that's for more sophisticated programs that are really thinking beyond the first couple steps. Got it. Um, if this came out and I miss it, I apologize, but realistically, how much time should we budget for a project like this? If we're saying it's between 10 and a hundred location or maybe right around that, that sweet spot. I'd time. usually say it should be like 20 man hours okay. of work to so do th- this I stuff. Mean, that's actually less anxiety driving than I, thought it would be because in my mind i'm here to comfort whenever i think of these big projects i'm like this is gonna be so hard and like we end up never doing these things because the amount of anxiety we experience we get like emotional around it like stressed out thinking about it and it really if you just start the project is not as bad as it sounds here's the right way to do it too you want to not make it your job because you as an owner operator are very busy and this should not be the chief chief anything officer's job uh this should be supported and funded by the chief whatever officer they should join the kickoff call to prove that this matters they should assign this to somebody lower down uh, in the marketing department or an operations department or an hr department or the finance team somebody who's going to have access to a lot of internal data someone who's hopefully been there for a couple of years so they have some credibility and can ask other people for things but not somebody so senior that every hour of theirs is worth a thousand dollars but you, they should have your blessing, your trust. They should be able to go to other peers and say, hey, the CEO is asking me to do this. Like, I need you to give me this data. 
And then you give it to them and you check up on them. And it shouldn't take them and your whole team more than 20 man hours total over the course of, you know, four to 12 weeks, depending on your size and aggressiveness and things like that. Got it. Okay. So is it safe to move on to reduce? We're good. So we covered measure. Um, what, when we fit, what, what does this project look like? The measure element of this, what does that picture look like when it's done? So you going to spend your four to 12 weeks or whatever collecting all this data. Uh, let's say you work with an external partner, a software company, or a consultant that's more common. They're going to tell you what to collect. You're going to collect all this data, your kilowatt hours of your restaurant, how much you spent on meat last year, uh, how far your employees commute, whatever. You're going to give it to them. They're going to take go back six, eight, ten weeks, crunch some numbers, and they're going to come back to you with your carbon footprint. The good ones are going to give you a report that says, here's how we calculated this. Here's the transparency. Here's the emissions that come from your refrigerators. Here's the emissions that come from your employee commute. Here's your total carbon emissions as a business. Here's your emissions per location. They might do things like, hey, here's your energy use uh, or energy emissions per restaurant location. Here's who's super energy efficient. Here's who's super energy inefficient and it's costing you a lot of money. So they're basically going to come back and say, here's your carbon emissions total. Here's how they break down in different categories and per restaurant and things like that. And lastly, here's opportunities you have to improve that. Got it. And then the rest of your year is improving that. That's the reduce side. Reduce. Of it. Yeah. So reduce. you get the numbers, you have your your measurables, your you know, your reference points, and then you try to make those points move. And you try to make those points move, exactly. So you can't know what direction you want those points to move without knowing what those points are. And I love that you cover, I mean, under reduce, we have the company internal and uh, this, this whole like external thing I think is really cool, but get into the, the, you know, company internal versus external like that. Yeah. However you would tackle reduce, get after it. Yeah. So internal emissions are what shows up on your carbon footprint, right? You know, your footprint, it's 20,000 metric tons of it's called CO2E carbon dioxide equivalents, uh, whatever, just the number that adds up all the stuff that you did last year. It's measured over an annual basis. How do I make that number go down? Can I switch to renewable energy? Can I uh, uh, sell less meat? Can I buy? Can I can I get all my employees a bicycle? Can I switch to a different refrigerants, uh, which are super pollutant? Right. What can I do to make my number go down? Right. That's reducing internal emissions. Reducing stakeholder emissions is helping your customers, mostly customers for a restaurant, but also employees, reduce emissions in ways that are not going to show up on your carbon footprint. So I'll give you a customer example, and I'll give you an employee example. An employee example that comes to mind first, is if you have employees who work from home, oftentimes their work from home emissions are not going to show up on your carbon footprint. If I have all my corporate uh, employees and my big thousand person employee restaurant group work from home four days a week, their energy use, their waste, their whatever is not going to show up on my footprint. But many restaurants might say, I care about that. That's an external stakeholder emission. But like, I want to help that go down. Can I help fund, uh, you know, for every year my employee has been here, I will give an extra $500 towards solar panels on their house. Or I will buy a, a composter for every employee on their one-year anniversary or whatever. Like, those are emissions that are external. They're stakeholder emissions. It's just like pushing the full system to get better, even if it's not going to show up on your carbon footprint. Does that make sense? Yes. The customer example um, could be similar. So a customer example might be, uh, oh, you know, like uh, the Best Buy e-cycling program is a good example where, hey, come off, drop off your laptop. Like we're just going to do something better for the world that's not going to show up on our emissions. Or uh, a T-shirt store near me called Marine Layer. For every cotton T-shirt you bring in, 
that you get $5 off of one of their t-shirts because I actually take right. those t-shirts and like upcycle it and like bring that fabric back. Your restaurant can do similar things. You can have canned goods drop off. You can like just help your customers or your landlord or whomever help your suppliers. Actually, that's a really good example for restaurants is suppliers. So what your suppliers do is often not going to show up directly on your carbon footprint. But let's say you're, uh, you know, you buy a, a hundred thousand pounds of napkins every year and you can go to your napkin vendor and you can say, Hey, I really care about sustainability. One of my big efforts this year is to push my suppliers to care about sustainability as well. Can you, uh, ship your napkins on trucks instead of by plane? Can you, uh, uh, become a carbon neutral uh, uh, supplier. Of can napkins. we bring trains back? Can we bring train and in Europe? You can bring it back hard. And America, <laughs> the, we got our way. The rail to go. system used to be so amazing yeah, in this country. That's like, another podcast, man. Oh my god, that would like, be wonderful. But we abandoned it for the the road system. Imagine that was an Eisenhower thing. Yeah, yeah, bastard. I mean, I've, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, the great American. But road the trip. rail trails are there. The, the trails are there. Just put tracks back. We just got to put tracks back. <laughs> Amtrak is also so expensive. Right, like it's the cost of a flight, and it's not. Always, but it's way better than flying. It's dude. it takes like if you're going like New York to DC, for example, <laughs> it takes you know three hours instead of flying, which is sure an hour and a half flight. But like going to the airport, whatever else, it's just it's better. You can walk around. I mean, I'm kind of spoiled. The Amtrak literally stops in my backyard. Oh, look at you! I'm like seventy strides. I'm not going to tell you which stop I'm at because <laughs> I'm a little worried. In seventy strides in any direction, I'll, yeah. we'll find you. <laughs> so, um. And this is kind of goes back to the idea again, going back to Matt Pepsil, the author of expand your circle. This, the, the reduce really is part of the, it, that's like the expanding your circle. That, that's saying, Hey, if we're going to do this, it has to be a group effort. It's, it's, it's me, the owner, it's you, the employee, it's, and it's the stakeholders. It's everyone associated with our business. And what can we do to ripple out and to influence others? That's hey, right. we, we want to do business with you. Can you meet these standards? And if everybody does that, watch how, and this is why I love consumerism because it's about options, but the consumer drives the market. And this is why I think the restaurant industry is so integral because we are influencers. You're no, I don't know if there's a industry at all that interacts with its customers more often than like none that like you have so much. I, the, the, the last chapter of the book is called power wielding. Right. And it's basically saying that like, you should do all the stuff. You should measure your emissions. Right. You should reduce emissions. You should report on the stuff. You You should do all that stuff. But you really, businesses need to do what's called power wielding, which means pushing the entire system to change. Right. Pushing them in policy, pushing your customers. And restaurants, like, the fact that if you just put up a little thing on your menu, which like Elefante in Los Angeles is a cool restaurant, and they have a QR code on their menu that talks about sustainability stuff. If you could put a little plastic thing by the checkout register, if you can do, if you work with Lightspeed, um, the like uh, the payments processor, yep. which works with a ton of restaurants, you can actually add carbon offsets as oh, an optional cool. thing to to. So there's a there's, there's, there's a path a of least redu- or a path of least resistance for yeah right now. that doesn't That's cost you yeah. anything. Like it's just engaging your suppliers right. or your customers or teaching them like Chipotle every time right. you order Chipotle and you get a receipt uh, uh, and you order in the app, I think mostly, but you got a receipt in your email and it says in the bottom of your email, the carbon footprint of your order and how much water it used. And it's just like a little educational moment that costs them zero dot. Like once they figured out the math, like zero incremental dollars and it costs you the same. But like I see Chipotle as a sustainable brand and one that I would choose over Dos Toros because Chipotle might not be more sustainable. I really don't know. But they talk about it. They care about it. They educate me. Like, they interact with me. You just have restaurants have such 
a, a, a center of gravity around this stuff. Well, I think what excites me the most, thinking about the influence and people listening to this might be thinking to themselves, consumers are so lazy. They're never going to do this stuff. And I think that's not necessarily true because they'll do it if they, if they know what's in it for them. They'll do it also if it's like, fine, consumers are lazy, so make it easy for them. They're selfish, too. Like, let's yeah. be honest. Human nature, we're selfish, yeah. we're lazy, we try to re- save energy. It's just in our nature, I feel like, yeah. you know, to, to, to save energy and to, to take a path of least resistance. Or we're not going to do anything until we know that it directly affects me and benefits me. We're selfish by nature, I think. Yeah. You there's know? a... Uh, but, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there's this uh, business professor named Scott Galloway, who's like an NYU marketing professor and a big podcaster. And I took one of his classes once and he talks about how every consumer decision is driven by one of three things, the brain, the heart, or the genitals. Either you're buying something because it's a smart thing to do and it'll make you more money. That's right. the brain. Benefit. You're buying something because it makes you feel good. Right. Right. That's my, my charitable donation Benefit. or like yeah. I, I, whatever. Or you're buying something for your generals because it makes you sexy. Right. Like it's it's you look good in a Ferrari. It's like gonna you, get you laid. It's Feels gonna get you laid. They're like I, a Gucci purse makes you awesome. Whatever My jeans the thing is. go on. Yeah. Legacy. Like it's just brain, heart, generals. And right. it breaks it down. It's like easy thing to remember from a marketing professor. That's why he's a good marketing professor. Does things that are easy to remember. But like it's the same thing here. Like right. think about your customers. They're buying something for the brain, for their heart, or for their generals. They're eating at your restaurant for the brain because they know it's good for them. Uh, for the heart because like it's warm and fuzzy and they like your vibe. Or for the genitals because they if they eat out at at uh, uh whatever at 11 madison Dude, like they think it'll it'll you're reinforcing the, the 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 point i want to make and i think it hits all of those it hits the brain it hits the heart and it hits the genitals because at the end of the day if like when you what, what will make people take action when they know there's something in it for them and what they're starting to realize is that when you do the sustainable thing when you eat food that is grown sustainably it's better for you you know, and I think that once you start to like communicate, listen, like not only is it better for you, your brain, it makes you feel better, your heart, but also when you spend money and you and you're maybe one or two points removed from the beneficiary of that effort that you made and you get to see the impact that you're having on your community and other people who are close to you, not some way, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of miles away, it makes you feel good. You yeah. know, you know yeah. that your your money is making an impact. Yeah. Uh and then when you eat good and you're good to other people, you get laid. Yeah. <laughs> all the time. Constantly. Yeah. Maybe, you know, it's good. You know, like, that's attractive. You my, know? My, uh, Maybe I'm stretching that last part. No, for sure. It's guaranteed <laughs> easy money. Uh, my example of this, uh, have you heard of a company called Mill? No. So their website is mill.co yeah. and I love them. I want to be their spokesperson if they're looking for them. Mill.co was started by the founders of Nest, that home thermostat oh, yeah, yeah, company yeah. that sold to Google for a trillion dollars. And it's, imagine if Apple designed a garbage can. So it's this beautiful white compost bin. So the problems with composting in your home is that it's smelly and it's gross and it's this ugly bag and there's flies everywhere and you take the bag out and it breaks and whatever. And people still pay $25 a month for that, and depending on your city, because you want to because it's good for the heart and it just feels good. Mill is like $33 a month or something like that. And I got this thing and like I posted it on LinkedIn and it was like it was awesome uh and it's this, like beautiful garbage can that's got this technology in there that grinds up all the food you throw I in I have heard. This is it's awesome it's so awesome more it's more got this like it. charcoal thing so it covers the scent so it doesn't smell at all it closes automatically so you're never gonna get flies in there and they partner with usps to pick up your compost because I, I live in brooklyn i don't have right. a backyard to use it on they pick up this compost and they send it to a chicken farm and they you know they use it as chicken feed 
oh my God, brain, heart, genitals. Like, right. it's smart. I know I'm doing the right thing uh, for the planet. Uh, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Um, I, 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 whatever. And, and then, like, it's, yeah. it's awesome. Like, it's, it's cool to care about climate. It's just right. that, like, if people care about it. Young people care about it. People, like, rich people care about it. Your customers care about it. If they see that stuff, it makes them feel good. And I think it's really, I think people were also guilty of being linear thinkers. And we look at the world we live in now and say, like, this is too much work. This is, there's too much resistance to do this. There's too much friction in the way. There's too many hoops to jump through. But what's really cool is that we live in a world that's exponentially evolving. Culture evolves exponentially. And we, we can't forget that. And when you, when there's a shift in culture, it's like, it like, it like blows out like the limits of yeah. like, like basically it, it spurs innovation. It yeah. spurs opportunity. And you see these companies like mill and like all these creative people find solutions and it, it it's good for market. And that's, that's, capitalism yeah and companies that stay ahead of it just do better yeah so i guess early i was trying to you started off in the book saying that it started with consumers and these corporations were saying hey we're just giving the consumers what they want and then the the corporations well no it's our responsibility but i kind of think that it's the consumer responsibility but i think it's kind of yes and it's it's our responsibility to influence the consumer so they can make good purchasing decisions exactly i think not that long ago it was very difficult for a consumer to make a good decision. They didn't have the information. They didn't have the information, and they didn't have the options. And, every res- no restaurants are vegetarian options, right. and, and they're uh, being lied to. Let's be honest. It's, whatever, but it's harder than ever to lie to for sure. Than ever before, and now as a consumer, I can go into the most sustainable. I can go to a Just Salad. I can go into a whatever B Corp restaurant you want, uh, and I could pick the meat option. Yeah, I don't think actually Just Salad doesn't sell steak, so that's something they like drew a line on and said, we don't sell steak. We sell chicken, but like no steak. Um, or I can go into a Taco Bell. And this is a cool thing that Taco Bell did is to say, we're going to have a veggie mode on the iPad that, that our customers are ordering on. And they made it really easy. And you just tap veggie mode and it automatically substitutes instead of whatever ground beef or whatever they normally serve. It substitutes in for like a, uh, uh like a, a sweet potato, tater tot or black beans or whatever. And that product has crushed for them it's done so well because they didn't say we're not gonna serve meat anymore they just said we're gonna make it really easy and really delicious for you to choose that option and sometimes when i go to taco bell i get the ground beef whatever and sometimes when i go i just click veggie mode and i get the delicious sweet potato thing it's about giving people the option we already have the information everyone knows there's nothing new in understanding your impact on the climate eat less meat uh, try to fly a little less like try to use solar panels if you can. Like it's all very obvious. It's just about giving options. And there's certain things consumers cannot do. So in airline travel, if I travel, I have to take a plane. Like my wife's family is from Kansas City. I'm not driving, I'm not walking to Kansas City. I'm not taking my bicycle. I'm not taking Amtrak. I'm not even driving to save missions. I'm gonna fly there. There's nothing I can do about that except United Airlines allows me to add three dollars to the cost of my ticket to fund their research in sustainable aviation fuel, which is something a company has to do to move towards a cleaner way of travel. So there's certain things that only companies can do. I can go to a restaurant and I can choose veggie mode over beef, but I can't make them have renewable energy. Yeah, That's something only the restaurant can do. So it's always going to be my choice whether or not I want to play their game, but you've got to give me a game to play. Right. Um, so we've covered the first... We've covered so much. Is there anything left? Frame. We read the book to them. This is my audio book right here. This is it. Hey, you're, 
Just, just I'll, I'll send you the recording. Yeah, yeah, yes. Um, yeah, put it up to Audible. <laughs> easy money. <laughs> so we covered measure. We covered reduce. I think we kind of uh, indirectly covered communicate. Um, but why don't you just kind of actually now's a good t- time to, t- to thank our sponsors. We'll come right back to officially unpackage communicate and then we'll just kind of kick around some ideas because i'm just kind of i just want to have fun talking to you a little bit more before we say goodbye we still got time too perfect thank Um, you sponsor yeah we'll be right back this episode is brought to you by pop menu there are a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant are you connecting with your diners enough and with the right message or could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for it can be a lot and very overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why restaurants get pop menu pop menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy with pop menu. You can attract more guests to your website. That's designed to easily collect their contact info and data. So you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you with pop menu. You can also stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business and also pop menu lets you make all your systems work better together improve margins and conquer the chaos of restaurants digital presence pop menu technology for restaurants ready to grow if you are a restaurant unstoppable listener you can get 100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. So we covered measure, we covered reduce, and we've kind of indirectly talked about communicate, but really just officially unpackage that uh, communicate. What are the elements there? So communicate has two categories. You have required reporting and you have voluntary marketing. Required reporting is going to matter more for larger businesses. Your private equity firm might require that you tell them your carbon footprint. Uh, If you want to ever go public, the SEC will require that you report this stuff. 
If you want to launch in an airport, that airport has a sustainability policy, they will require that you know this stuff. They're just like rules that you have to follow. If you want to uh, serve Microsoft or Salesforce, maybe you have a catering arm and you want to serve them, they have rules. Salesforce in particular, one of the largest tech companies on earth, has what's called the sustainable vendor policy that says that they will not buy products from businesses that don't have their carbon footprint. So required reporting. You want to sell to Salesforce? You want to sell to the federal government? You want to have private equity money? You have to do certain things. Got it. Voluntary marketing is really important because that's where a lot of the ROI, especially for consumer businesses like restaurants, comes from. Yeah. But it's also quite a minefield, right? If you're a restaurant and you're doing all the work of sustainability, you want to tell your customers, you want to tell your employees. It's not cheap. It's not cheap, right? You got to think about this stuff. Like you got to, you got to bring it into a campaign. You got to think about how to do this correctly. You got to avoid greenwashing. You got to, if you want to be carbon neutral, like that's awesome, but you want to make sure you're talking about quality carbon offsets right. or whatever else. Your brand almost has, maybe not center around this, but it has to be a big part of your brand. I think, in my personal opinion, to it can be it's, to it, appeal to the the right market. Yeah, that will you know be your evangelist that will support you because they identify with your values. You got to put it out into the universe in order for people to, to be aware that you're making the effort, and yeah. people are going to associate and identify with that. You can't just do it and hope that, like through you know, going through the motions of is enough. Yeah, yeah. I think promote it. I think it, I think there's a spectrum. So I'll be fair. Like I'll say, like on the one end of the spectrum is a company super leading in sustainability, sweet green, just salad. Uh, there's a cool UK chain called Oaxaca Tacos. Yeah, like. They lean in. That is their brand all over the store and menu and website. You have it says to, that yeah. stuff. You have to, like, you're, it's it's going to be more expensive to eat at your restaurant if you do all this stuff, if you have these values. You but have, you'll you'll get a certain kind of customer and right. they'll pay a dollar more. But they need to know why it's yeah. more expensive. They'll, Start with why. why. And you have to be transparent. Right. Um, uh, you know, a little further down the spectrum, like I think Condado Tacos is pretty cool. They're like 40 or so locations yeah. around the Midwest. Like they don't blast it off the rooftop. So they post on an Instagram a little bit and like they talk about this at conferences. Um, and on the far end of the spectrum, uh, I, I won't name them cause they don't want to talk about it, but like they companies who just want to do it cause they should do it and they feel like doing it. And like, they're just going to do it. And like, maybe they'll tell their employees or maybe they'll do it out of all hands. But like, they're not going to really like blast it. So I recommend talking about it. I think you'll, you'll, it'll be more, it'll be around longer. It'll be more sustainable in the like, yeah. business sense of the word uh, look, if you want to make sure you're doing it well for a couple of years before you ever talk about it or if you've got other marketing goals that just aren't aligned with sustainability or if you if it would never fit your brand right. like i don't know if you're uh if you if all you do if you're a steakhouse i'm still trying to figure out how to sell to a steakhouse <laughs> like uh, yeah all right you get your meat locally like can you do you want to be a sustainable steakhouse is that hard thing like you should probably just like do the stuff on the background and like just because it's the right thing and, right. and whatever. Um, but yeah, there's a spectrum. I recommend leaning in thoughtfully and, and, and um, with patience and doing it the right way. But I think also it's, it's almost like you're responsible. If you're doing these things, I think it's also the, the communication is part of how you, we influence and we change oh, yeah. consumer behavior. Oh, yeah. You know, like, yeah, there was a, like when we, people really started leaning into the state like 10 years ago, right? There's a lot of consumer pushback, like $10 for a burger. Are you kidding me? We also, condition the consumer to think that five dollars for a burger yeah. was you know a, a good deal yeah but that's not sustainable to yeah. do that so yeah. like i think through promoting and and, and, and telling the, the the universe why you do what you do you're also influencing and changing perspective i spent yeah. 25 dollars on a chicken 
a frozen chicken that I get at this farm because one, I know the owners and I love knowing that I'm supporting a friend in a local business. And two, I just, I don't like supporting a broken food system. And I also eat way less meat when I spend $25 on a chicken. Yeah. Because I fill my belly with, you know, kale because it's way less. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Butcher Box does a very good job of this. You know, Butcher oh, cool. Box? I ha- I've heard of them, but yeah. I didn't know that they. Big business. They're like a $500 million subscription, $500 million revenue subscription uh, food business. Yeah. And they started doing grass fed meat maybe 10, 15 years ago or something like that. And all I saw was grass-fed meat because grass-fed beef was really hard to find. And they expanded and did like uh, salmon, like wild-caught salmon instead of farm-raised salmon and and whatever, free-range chicken and all these other things. And they did a really good job of this. They're like, yeah, we sell meat. We sell chicken. We sell fish. We ship it to you in boxes around the country. Do they ship it to you by airplane or by ground? They ship it to you by uh, airplane. They they do, which is not ideal. Like they they (laughs) say, like that's the stuff. Like it's not cut and dry though. Like you know what I mean? Like it's this whole thing. If you want grass fed beef, they, there is none on Long Island. So the only way to get it is from whatever farm in Oklahoma. Like you want it or you don't want it. At the moment, that's what you got to do. They're trying to fund that. They tell you about it. Here's why we do what we do. Here's here's what it looks like. Here's all the stuff we're trying to do around our packaging. Here's what it means when we talk about regenerative agriculture. They like educate you and built a really big business serving high-end customers who really care about this stuff, who go out and buy $25 chickens like you do. Seems like an irrational thing. Who would ever pay more for a similar product? Like a billion people would happily pay more for a product that they know is good, know where it comes from, whatever. Well, I think there's a shift in values, you yeah. know, and I think that's what has, I think there, there has to be a shift in values in order to execute this future that we're envisioning right now. Right. But yeah. I think that's literally happening. You're seeing in generate or Gen X and Gen Z, oh, not Gen X, um, millennials and Gen Z and Gen X too, probably a little bit, right. People are making consumer shifts. Yeah. I think a little bit, selfishly because they want to identify with being progressive and thoughtful but also health wise um some of the things crazy i just want to so two things around like young people care that we didn't we didn't talk much about employees right um so i'll really briefly mention this thing so employees really care about this it's a great place to find roi your young employees who work in the food system want to know that you're doing sustainability well um i show this chart in in the book uh it was a deloitte study of what employees care about and it showed what Gen Z and millennials is specifically focusing on younger employees. And for Gen Z, climate change was the number one issue. It beat out everything else. It beat out comp. It beat out DEI. It beat out gender. Everything. Like it beat out. Like people care about climate change. And for millennials, I think it was third after like healthcare and something else. Like young people care about this. You will be able to hire more of them if you lean into it. Right. The second thing I wanted to say is like young people care dramatically i don't know if you've been following this is michigan or minnesota minnesota i think young people sued the state of minnesota on behalf of the environment and said the environment is protected in our constitution now i'm trying to remember what state of north dakota gosh i should get this right but young you could just google like young people lawsuit of a state young people sued their state uh because in the constitution they wanted it protected the environment and they said all this drilling and oil exploration that's happening is literally breaking the constitution they won this was like a month ago they won they beat the state they like shut down oil drills it is insane the level that people are going to it's like pick your 30 years these are gonna be the the governors the mayors the you know And like right now, they're your rich customers because you have to be rich to yeah. care about climate to an extent. You got other problems if you're not rich. So if you want people who are spending disp- uh, disposable income or whatever, like 
<laughs> they just care about the environment. Right. Um, you bring up some, I'm happy that you resurfaced this because I wanted to make a point earlier when we were talking about measure, the cool thing that happens when you measure, um, and it's, it ties into the great game of business, this idea of gamifying business, but you also get to gamify your carbon footprint and you get, it's one, it's one more metric to measure, to have fun with it and to say, Hey, like this last year, you know, we, got, we reduced our carbon footprint to this number next year. Let's make our goal of this number. And then you challenge, and then you can use that stat to compare yourself to other restaurants or organizations and use that, you know, but just being able to gamify it and to, to get your people to buy in and to literally let them measure the impact they're making through their efforts. When you can gamify something, it's just a whole new game in terms of culture and how to yeah. get people to buy in. It's powerful. Can I tell you a care. idea for your uh, listeners Please. that'll actually save a bunch of money yeah. on exactly that? Yeah. So scope two emissions, Okay. purchase electricity we talk about. So one way you can uh, collect all that data really easily with a software provider is they'll plug into your utilities and they'll show you a cool view uh, on whatever app they have that says, here's the amount of energy used by each of your restaurant locations, and here's how to think about it per square foot. Here's the data normalized in whatever way. And you'll find, let's say you have 20 restaurants. Oftentimes, I've seen this now at dozens of different restaurants, you'll find that you'll have your restaurants basically broken into quartiles of energy efficiency. And oftentimes, your bottom quartile, so your least energy efficient location, will cost you eight times more money than your top quartile. Really? Meaning your energy inefficient locations are costing you eight times more money than your energy efficient locations. And oftentimes, for a restaurant, utilities might be like three or 5% of your total costs. So that's like adding one or two percentage points to your bottom line if you're able to reduce that. So once you have that information, and you can see, all right, here's where it's broken up, you can do things like create a competition and email every single restaurant, and a good software provider will make this all automated for you. We can email every single restaurant manager and say, last year, you were ranked 13th out of 20, or last month, you were ranked 13th out of 20. If you can get to ranking 11th out of 20, we will give you a bonus, and we will just give you the money you saved on energy, and you can give it out to your employees or do whatever you want with it. Profit sharing. Profit sharing. Or you can do things like, hey, what are the, let's have a webinar where restaurants one and two are most energy efficient restaurants are just going to talk about the things that restaurants 19 or that all the restaurants are going to be doing better. And let's see how high up we can get restaurants 19 and 20. And the things we will find are also insane. Like, yeah, you'll think of the obvious ones. If you have a restaurant in Minnesota versus one in Florida, what you'll be doing during the winter is very different. Right. Fine, sure, there's that kind of stuff. But also we've seen things like, uh, uh, one restaurant was paying the energy bill of their neighbor and just no one ever noticed until you're looking at energy efficiency. Like, So it forces you to drill down. Forces you to drill efficient. down. Yeah. One restaurant, they found that the uh, manager would open the door every morning and he would tie it to the wall because the door's kind of janky and like people had a tough time opening it a little bit. So instead of fixing it for 500 bucks, he would just leave it open. The air conditioner and heater worked twice as hard and he was wasting an extra like $300 a month. And when they found that out, they're like, oh, let's fix your door for five. Like, (laughs) yeah, let's just fix your door. Uh, uh, One restaurant found that the manager was turning on the backup oven every single morning immediately, even though it was just a backup oven. Because it was cold. Yeah. So, or just like, just they went around, turned on all the stuff. Like what gets measured gets minded. Yeah. If yeah. all of a sudden you're like, hey, how do I make my number go down? It's crazy how that works. Should I not turn on my backup oven until yeah. I need it? Or maybe I'll just turn it on at noon instead of at 6 a.m.? Like, right. But what's cool is when you gamify it and you bring the team in, you get this, like, you, you tap into, like, the infinite, 
right? Because you get all these different perspectives and it's that brain power that you're just, you're tapping into that you would never otherwise would have given right. yourself that privilege that, to get access to. Um, I think we can start to wrap it up before we officially start to wrap it up. This is just me getting silly again. I'm just curious. Um, so I'm, I believe 100% that humans contribute to global warming. I want to get that out before people think that I'm a crazy Excellent. person. Excellent. That's good. I, I wish yeah. we just got that, we, this just got that, that out of the way before, before we get labeled this, as like yeah. conspiracy theorists or something. But I do, I do also believe that the world, I think, relative to our perspective in this moment in time, is constantly fluctuating, right? Sure. Uh, and the more we learn about like the history of this planet and the like the crazy experiences between like the five or six super volcanoes that exist, the amount of times it's gotten hit by asteroids that no matter how bad it gets, it's going to get like, I, I do believe that this planet has the ability to shake us off like a bad set of fleas. Yeah. You know, and that we're going to go right back to an ice age. Eventually it's just a matter of time. Whether, sure. You know, like, um, well, I think sustainability is not about, I think the planet doesn't care. Like the planet will be fine. The planet, like, we'll all die in some sort of natural disaster and then the planet will burp and a hundred years later it'll all be fine. And it'll just like, you know, sorry, polar bear, sorry, humans, sorry, uh, uh, penguins, whatever you're all extinct. It'll be fine. A couple thousand years later, other species will all show up like, yeah, fine. Protect human species. Like it's just, you don't want it happening faster. You don't want it happening this often. You don't want Hawaiian fires happening more and more often. You don't want Canadian fires happening earlier in the season and blowing smoke all over New York city, which I've never seen in my entire life and destroying business for four days. You don't want there to be not snow on Christmas for years and years in New York city, which like ruins tourism because he wants to go to New York over Christmas. There's not going to be snow. Also like what's happening in Hawaii right now, like that I'm sorry is it's, it's, it's a tragedy what's yeah. happening out there and why. Yeah. But at the same time, like we look at that and go, Oh, like this is so sad. How could this happen? I don't know. Maybe like human power lines causing a fire. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it happens. It's, we're responsible yeah. for it. Like yeah. we, we act like victims. Yeah. Like, Oh, like how could this happen to us? It's like, because we, we kind of suck and, and we don't the realize natural stuff. Like, you know, Canadian wildfires, right? It happened in June. Right. So my daughter was born June 1st. And by June 5th, we could not leave the house for four days because it was right. that smoky outside in New York City. And Canadian fire wildfires are healthy. They're natural. They happen all the time. You need them to happen. It's it's just the way things burn, and it's right. great. It happened earlier in the season. It happened more ferociously than ever before. It, like Temperatures were hotter. Everything was drier. And the economy was ruined. So don't take an feel free to take an economic perspective. People's health was hurt. So take a healthcare perspective. Like take whatever perspective you want. Right. Wildfires happening earlier and earlier, more frequently and more frequently, bigger and bigger. That affects your business. That affects your health. That kills people. Like, I don't know. Pick your argument for figuring this stuff out. And you, I also like your business, the first words to chapter eight in the book is nothing that we talked about in the first seven chapters matters. What's this? Your business won't save the planet. Right. It is a piece. It is right. a small piece of this massive, massive thing. It's a drip in an ocean. And you could ignore right. your drip. Like, well, I'm a drip in an ocean. What can I do? Or you can fix your freaking drip, and hopefully you'll affect some and, others. Yeah, and influence other people to yeah. fix their drips. And over time, that every one of those drips becomes a new ocean yeah. of, of influence, right? But I just think it's kind of weird how we don't take any accountability. Like, we always... we Humans, like, we collectively try to take this, like, this victim approach. Like, yeah. oh, this is so sad. Like, how could this happen? It's like, because we're doing crazy shit. It's always someone um, else's problem. Right. Um, but I think, for me, it's not about 
even our the future of hum, humans because humans are directly responsible for this. But for me, it's like we share this planet with other species. And like it, for me, like right now, we're being so incredibly selfish to every other species that's alive for our convenience. And it literally comes down to human convenience. So we can have hot showers or whatever like luxury that we have in today's modern world. And we kind of just do it at like the expense of like, oh, those other living species are less significant creatures. Like, you know, to me, like just that for me is a reason because right now, like we're stewards of this planet We're we're self-aware creatures. You know, we have the ability to, to, to make a difference. And for me, it's like not even doing it for like our own future, but just to share this planet with other creatures. And right now to like be more holistic, right? It's all connected. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. The thing that, the thing, I remember this forever. The thing that got me into sustainability was the TV show Planet Earth. Oh, uh, you know, Planet Earth with David, David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like just beautiful nature yeah, documentary right. that's like insane. And, and they kind of put you, things into perspective. Yeah, it just shows you the crazy shit. So, like, that, I remember watching that in college and be like, oh my God, like the planet, the animals, the whatever. And right. I still buy all that stuff. Like, I, I've been, I'm in the middle of uh, Our Planet 2, the right. second season of this other, like, I love the nature stuff. I think it's a good argument for some and the save the polar bears thing is like where the sustainability movement was 20 years ago. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric, but like also most people don't give a shit about polar bears. It's like, Oh, like actually literally today as I was walking down the elevator to, to get to you here, uh, the like newsflash on the WeWork thing was that emperor penguins might become extinct. Oh my gosh. And, uh, cause of melting ice caps and like night, whatever, something like that. I'm going to, it's very sad. I, I love animals and I'm very sad about that. Nobody gives a shit. Like they'll just forget. They'll move on. They're not going to change their habits. Like you need to have a financial right. Me- and the financial, if you want to take a financial metric of that, what happens if the emperor penguins go away? Well, certain fish will overpopulate. What happens if that happens? Certain it's plants will go away entirely, and you will lose. They won't care until they a product have- on your restaurant right. menu. Exactly. Like, p- p- like that's it. Right. That's what will happen. Or like certain fish will overpopulate. They'll eat the salmon, and salmon will no longer be alive, and you'll lose your thirty-five dollar halibut eventually. Like think. You just I talk about the profit motive all the time, not yeah. to be cold or not to whatever, just because like that's what translates into action. Maybe I talk about the penguins and someone donates fifty Let's talk bucks about the to penguins. <laughs> yeah, the honey. Uh, my first business when I was in, in middle school and high school, I sold honey. Yeah, and I talked at conferences and stuff about honeybees in like two thousand butterflies. I don't know eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, whatever. Uh, yeah, I love it. It's the all honey. directed to food. It's all connected with food. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, and that, I think again when and we forget that food is life. Yeah. The majority of things, with maybe the exception of salt, that we consume was once from a living thing, you know, and like that is enough reason for us to be selfish and to give a fuck because it directly associates to our omnivore diet yeah. of like eating all this stuff and like yeah. you know. Anyway, I don't want to take up any more time that we don't have to. You got to get going in ten minutes. Um, before we do say goodbye, um, any calls to action? You, obviously, you um, this is your life. You, you travel the country, you work with restaurants to help reduce carbon footprint and uh, you really specialize in carbon accounting, right? That's kind of your gem. That's kind of the course. So like how do you co- corporate sustainability? I'd yeah. say, and corporate sustainability has a lot of aspects, but I'd say, look, uh, say hi. Um, so if you want to email me, yep. it's just Adriel at attainable sustainability book.com. Uh, you could go to attainable sustainability book.com. There's a bunch of free stuff on there. Like buy the book, don't buy the book, whatever you want. LinkedIn. I'm really loud and talk about stuff all the time. So just Adriel Lubarski. So like, if you want to reach out, I'm super open we can talk strategy. We can talk ideas. Like you just say hi. Uh, would love to talk to anybody and I'm very, very open. 
Awesome. Um, so we got your email. Um, you work with um, your you know your associate with was it Green Green Places um, Green yep. Places. And what do they do specifically? So we do. Uh, carbon accounting. So we'll help you measure your emissions, build a plan to reduce it. It's a software company. It'll make it it easy. It's cheaper than your alternatives. Uh, you know, all, all the good stuff that if you're interested, I'll tell you more, but if you're not interested, there's lots of, lots of options for it. I'll guide you towards whatever's right. And this is episode 1026. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash one zero two six. We'll have links to how to connect with Adriel over there as well as links over to uh, green. Uh, why can I remember the green places? Thank it's you very much. Two, Jesus, two little two words. words. Two little know. words. Seriously. Catch a tour. Dude, one Oh two six. That's just, that's insane. That's thank impressive. You, thank you very much. Um, and, uh, I do want to have you call somebody out. I know you're working with a lot of great brands out there. Is there a brand specifically that really impresses you? Uh, who's doing it right? Who's profitable and uh, sustainable that has this great values? That, somebody who I, sh- I need to make an example of. Yeah. I'm I mean, already was, going after Jess Salads. We, <laughs> we talked about Zingerman's a lot. We talked about Jess Salad a lot. So I won't give them, uh, I, I won't list. say anything about them. Um, we talked about Condado Tacos as well. We haven't talked about Pat Croce and company. Okay. I love Pat Croce. They're, um, uh, restaurant group. They work in Florida and they work in uh, Hotel State College, which is where Penn State is. They got like 15 locations and they're doing this stuff. They don't talk about it. They don't brag about it. They just like, they do the work. They're trying to figure it out. They put money behind it. They really care about it. Uh, and I just, I really like them and they're good people. But Pat, Pat Croach is a great group. What's it called? Pat Croachies? Uh, yeah. Pat, P-A-T, uh, C-R-O-C-E. So Pat Croach Group or Pat Croach and Company. And they own a bunch of different brands. Where but that's the group. Uh, State College um, in Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. Nice and close. Too. Yeah. And they own some places in, in, I think, the Florida Keys. But they're they're great and, and unsung heroes. All right. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And um, you already have your email out there to the people. So now is when I say thank you so much, Adriel. Am I saying it right? I'm always yeah. afraid I'm saying it. No, you it. nailed it. All right. Perfect. Beautiful. <laughs> um, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you, Eric. This is great. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Audriel Labrowski, for coming on and talking about sustainability uh, and just, you know, educating us and enlightening us and going deeper into the subject and helping us realize that it's it's within reach for us to start making a more sustainable effort in our business. So awesome stuff. Um, And if you're interested in working with Audriel or with Green Places, he did say that they do have an affiliate program. I'll be honest. I wasn't aware of green places or the fact that he was a director of sales for this organization before today's conversation. And I believe in what they're doing. And I think that, um, you know, more organized organizations like this should exist. So if you're interested in, you know, working with Audriel or with green places, please go to the show notes episode one zero two six. And use my links and be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable because they have a very generous uh, affiliate program that will really support what we're trying to do here at Restaurant Unstoppable. And uh, other ways to support the show is by joining Restaurant Unstoppable Network. It's the community. It's where we go deeper. It's where we follow up on the things, the leads we learn about on the show. We unpackage them in the network. And we have some events coming uh, Monday, September 18th at 12 p.m. I'm making myself available at Restaurant Unstoppable uh, in the network to just be there for you to, to engage you in conversation, to answer your questions. Sometimes it's just helpful to get thoughts out. And that's really what coffee with Eric is all about is a place 
where I'll be, where other restaurant owners will be, and you can just dump it out. You can just get your thoughts out. You can get your emotions out, and that can be so therapeutic, and we're here to listen. We're also doing that on Monday, October 9th at 3.30 p.m., uh, Coffee with Eric. And then October 24th at 8 a.m., we have a uh, discovery call on Profit uh, First. So if you enjoyed learning more about Profit First over the past couple episodes and you're interested in, in implementing Profit First at your restaurant, but you have some questions you want answered, Casey Anton will be answering those questions October 24th, 8 a.m. And then I do want to kind of plant a little bit of a seed with you guys. I I am kind of hinting and suggesting I might be getting an RV. If you're out in the country and you have a place for me to park an RV, or maybe you have an RV you're looking to sell, please email me, Eric, at Restaurant Unstoppable. I'll come to your city. I just need places to go. And then I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jerry Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for your copyright and editing. Thank you, Callan Miola, for your community manager work. You're doing an awesome job. We're lucky to have you. And thank you to Anatazin with a good, kind consulting for your corporate and executive council uh it's you know just having you to give me perspective super lucky to have you lucky to have all of you uh can't do it without my team so grateful for you guys that's it for today until next time peace out